Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Tomasi. Hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and all you curious individuals. And of course, that is with the utmost respect as always. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. And in this episode, I've got another ServiceNow product manager, or as I look at his title, Principal Product Manager, Brian Bimschlager. Did I say that right? You got it right on the first try, and congrats <laughs> because that is an honor that not many people hold. So, <laughs> growing up in the Midwest helps. <laughs> How are you today, Brian? I am. I'm doing great. Uh, you know, just coming back from the weekend. Excited to be here talking about all things Flow Designer with you. Awesome. And are you? Uh, have you been on a podcast before, or is this your first time? Oh, I I have, but it was a long time ago, and uh, to be honest, I don't even remember the name of it. But <laughs> okay, it, you know, at, at least familiar with uh, the conversational recording setup and being able to find it on the internet. So excellent. <laughs> well, we try to make this one as easy to find as possible. Before we get in, you got to tell your superhero story. What's your background? Yeah, yeah, it's a good good question. My background uh, for product managers is probably a little bit more mixed. Um, before joining ServiceNow, uh, which I joined in May of this year, I was previously head of UX strategy at a small UX consultancy that I had co-founded. was there for about three and a half years before a friend that I had worked with out here in San Diego and in Virginia had seen an opening for the flow designer role and pinged me and said, hey, this is totally up your alley. It's exactly what you've been working on with all your clients for the past six years you should really give it a shot. And uh, it all worked out. So I've been, uh, prior to ServiceNow, been more on the UX and strategy side of things, still working on workflow automation tools for large SaaS companies. Uh, and before then, I've been in the digital advertising space. I've been uh, a PM for some telecom software products. And even going further backwards in time, I've taught English overseas in France for a little bit and did a little bit of sales as well, uh, selling hardware and software to car dealerships. A lot of times when people ask you what the, the Venn diagram of responsibilities for a PM is, it's a little bit of business, a little bit of UX, and a little bit of technology, and kind of through all the tangential points throughout the career, I've checked a lot of those boxes. And, you know, that is a terrific combination about UX, especially as you go into the workflow sector, is how to make that. We're, we're trying to reach more of the, I'll say, less programmatic people, the, you know, the people who didn't have computer science or IS attached to their title or degrees or anything, helping them build workflows, our no-code, low-code audience, and understanding what it is they need, because so many times engineers make tools that are great for other engineers. <laughs> and and you know, having yeah. that UX experience is really, really important. I've already seen some sneak peeks of what's coming up in Quebec, and it is awesome. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, the interesting things uh, about UX and kind of how I've been approaching things with Flow Designer so far is uh, just because it's something for pro code users doesn't mean we have to make it difficult to use either. So, you know, UX extends from low code users to pro code users as well. Oh. Um, and that's one of the things I try and really uh, imbue into our teams. Absolutely. I'm probably the laziest programmer you've ever met. If there's an easier way to do something, I'll take it hands down. So I'll be your beta tester for whatever you want. <laughs> well, um, when you're not working, what do you like to do? Well, I previously had uh, quite a few more hobbies until I had my wife and I had our first child. Congratulations. Nine 
Yeah, thank you. And, and since then, uh, 2020 has been quite the eventful year. You know, started at ServiceNow, global pandemic, and uh, had a baby. So the combination of things <laughs> has, has made discretionary time a little interesting. Sounds like a two to, th- uh, two to one score you're winning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, we're in the lead. That's that's what matters. Um but but I'm a little bit of a little bit of a nerd. Probably resonates with some of the people that are listening to the podcast, and I'm on the the low end of the quantified self scale. Um, so during quarantine, I really got into food tracking and my intake, just kind of being more aware of what I'm eating, and uh, kind of helped me out with a little bit of weight loss, which is pretty good. Uh, but also in 2020, I had some personal goals. I wanted to get better at activities that. Uh, can serve me well throughout life. So I'm trying to get a lot better at chess and uh, play on chess.com and I can have a quantified score for my skill. And I'm effectively trying to go from bad to not bad this year. And I'm <laughs> like that. progressing. That's a goal <laughs> from bad to not bad. <laughs> yeah. So l- lose uh, less often than I used to. And um, I'm achieving that. So uh, and besides that, trying to pick up some Spanish as well. I've always been fascinated by foreign languages. I think they stretch your brain a different way. And, uh, you know, whether it's learning a programming language or French or Spanish, learning how other cultures connect their core concepts together and how they communicate it is a it's really fascinating to me. Um, And I think that lends into some of my UX interests as well. I always said if I had a superpower, it would be to speak and understand every language on the world. I think that would be the most powerful superpower ever is to be able to communicate with anybody in their native language. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. How about how about this? Anything your favorite thing that you've recently built? Like I mentioned I'm I'm a little bit of a little bit of a nerd and like to play around with automation tools. Recently since having our 9-month-old, I started reading a lot of children's books and <laughs> Turns out children's books are not narratively complex, and they uh, tend to repeat themselves quite a bit. So I I built a tool that uh, it's kind of like uh, AdLib meets Choose Your Own Adventure, but uh, I built it on top of Google Sheets and Google Apps Script and uh, iOS shortcuts, where you can just tap a button and uh, Siri will read you a randomly generated story uh, and has some names of <laughs> foods and people and, and jobs that are randomized. So literally every time you tap the button, you get a new story, um, which is, which is, you know, great when it's story time. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. When are you going to put that on service now? Well, that, that was actually uh, my, my next project, you know, get a little bit more familiar with the platform, take something that already works and uh, bring it to a, to a new, new platform. That so would be great. It's, it's on the list, you know, when I when I have the time. <laughs> sure, there are many. I can help with that. There are many parents out there that would love to have such a tool, and it's another case of, uh, you know, just a, a, of a use case that most people wouldn't think of. But you know, as a parent, like, okay, I got an idea. Let's run with this. <laughs> uh, I did just realize that we're doing this a little out of order because we talked to Andrew Albury Dor in Sydney, our one of our developer MVPs about Flow Designer, and and he has a term called Fladvocate. Do you consider yourself a Fladvocate? Oh, sure. You know, it's <laughs> anytime it comes up, yeah. And then our last episode, we talked to Yaron Gez about process automation designer and you know, how it leverages Flow Designer underneath the hood. And now we back up a little bit and give the listener a little lesson about Flow Designer. So let's take it from the historic perspective. I'm, I'm sure you know this story, even though you started in 
May of 2020. What was wrong with the old workflow editor? Why did we why did we see a need to create the next generation? It's a good question, and actually one we get quite a bit from a lot of our customers. The long and short of it is there's there's nothing wrong with workflow uh, right now. In fact, it still runs. It still works well today. Uh, some internal service now processes still run on it, and certainly a lot of customer processes still run on it. Uh, but a couple of years ago, we were trying to explore how to extend into some new features and new capabilities uh, that we wanted to do within a workflow automation tool. Uh, and as the team started digging into workflow, we realized it was just going to be a little bit more difficult than than expected to create some some new features on where we wanted to take workflow automation in the next coming releases. Uh, so after talking with the engineering team, ultimately the decision was made to uh, build a new tool from the ground up so we can optimize for performance, a little bit more modern technology. And the last point which you touched on uh, earlier was, you know, Building from the ground up really allows us to optimize for some low-code users or people who are less technically proficient but still have value in, in workflow automation. Ultimately, it all aligns towards making our tools simpler to use so we can expand the base of potential people that can use them. That's no small decision to make. It's like, uh, let's start over. And that had to have yeah. been an interesting discussion between uh, a number of people, probably way above our pay grades. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. Everybody well, always asks, is there any charge for Flow Designer? Well, that is, honestly, it's one of my favorite features about Flow Designer is that it's, it's a core platform feature. You know, if you're trying to automate anything within ServiceNow, there is no charge. You know, the it's... Zero dollars, zero cents to automate based on a ServiceNow trigger and perform some action within ServiceNow. Honestly, it's pretty incredible that this is a, a free feature uh, and it's so powerful. Where there is cost associated with Flow Designers, as soon as you try and do uh, anything with an external system, you make a REST call, you integrate with Integration Hub, um, you connect to any third-party system that you know might host your data or you want to post some content to. Uh, that counts as a transaction. And I know as soon as you say transaction and cost per transaction, people start to think, oh, God, this is going to rack up so many costs. How can I get this in control? Well, the good news is, is that we give away the first million transactions for free. You know, if you're a developer and you're sitting there thinking, well, how many transactions is is a million. I mean, obviously I know the number, but, you know, in a real world scenario, how fast am, am I going to go through that volume? Uh, well, what we've run on our side is that 85% of our customers don't even break that that 1 million transaction volume. Uh, so if you're starting out or looking to try Flow Designer for, mm -hmm. for your business, or for your company, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to need to worry about any transaction costs until you hit some pretty serious volume. And even if there is, there's a number of ways you can optimize for that, as I discovered with uh, YouTube. They've got a transaction limit, a quota per day. And instead of saying, oh, I want the status of this one video and I get a response back, that's one. And in fact, I think they call it two transaction or two, two hmm. quota ticks and you're allowed 10,000 per day. I went, uh-oh, I've got to do 35,000 <laughs> videos today. What am I going to do? You can bundle them together so that up to a maximum of 50 in one request will come back in the payload and you go, hey, Give me 50. I just cut my costs by, what is it, 
I've made them two percent of what they used to be, which ain't a bad trade off. So if you can find yeah. areas of optimiz- optimization like that, you know, look for ways that you can re- instead of going one record at a time, maybe pagination is a better way to say, go get me fifty or a hundred records, whatever you can do to uh, get those back in bundles, and it will significantly cut that transaction limit down. And you worry even less, and you sleep better at night, and you know you you get gray hair later in life, all that good stuff. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I pay attention to as well is the uh, ServiceNow community where, you know, people are posting questions on how they can solve thing thing A, B, or C. And if you're ever looking for an opportunity to, you know, optimize on how you're doing something or, hey, you know, I'm, this is taking a whole bunch of transactions. There's got to be a better way to batch process this. Posting to the community is a great way to get real quick feedback from people that are really smart about Flow Designer. Since I've joined, I, I learn a lot about the capabilities of the platforms or kind of workarounds or better ways to do things just by seeing what members of our own community are posting to other people's solutions or other people's questions. The community is a wonderful place. Um, one thing that I have seen in the community, especially as we started to introduce Flow Designer in Kingston and you know, London, New York on forward, is people asking, is there a migration tool from the legacy workflow to Flow Designer? Yeah. And, you know, we we see that quite a bit, whether it's on the community or via customer ideas or in meetings from our customers. Right now, there are no plans for a direct migration tool. Um, we've investigated it a, a little bit, you know, just doing our, our due diligence. Uh, but ultimately, we've decided that, you know, we're not going to build a direct migration tool at this time. Uh Rather, you know, we've basically achieved parity between flow designer and workflow. So one of our core recommendations to customers is if you're having net new development, uh, like a totally new flow or a totally new automation, our recommendation is to go with flow designer because that's what we are actively developing against and adding new features to on, on our side. Um, you know, there, there are two minor exceptions to, you know, workflow and, and flow designer being at parity. The first of which is is action branching, like inline decisions, uh, and the next is a parallel flow launcher. So, you know, those are two two smaller features uh, that are a subset of the overall workflow product, and we're looking at bringing them into future releases. But there's no definite timeline that's been established. I thought yet. we had we're parallel. Kind of I thought around. we had parallel processing processing in flow. We have parallel branches, but it operates uh, a, a little bit differently. So okay. if you're trying to go through a big list and have you know batches of things happening concurrently, gotcha. uh, it just operates a little bit differently in Flow Designer. The other thing that I thought was fascinating that I, I like to help people understand workflow versus Flow Designer is workflows are typically built as a monolithic end-to-end process engine. It's the, you, know, you think about change management process and there's rollbacks in case the approval is rejected and mm-hmm. da, 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 da. I've built some of these that are pretty damn nasty and they're hard to build. They're hard to maintain. They're hard to read. It starts to become an art mm-hmm. form of not crossing the wires and that you give up after that uh, on that <laughs> a while. But um, the, the thing to help you think about what is flow designer and where does it fit and how should how and when should I use it? is not to think of it as a replacement for workflow and try to get everything in your process into a flow. 
make your flows small and specialized. And I started doing this with workflows later on mm. in my career to say, you know what? This thing needs to be partly manually driven by UI actions and partly by workflow. So let's start a small workflow here and a small workflow there. And it will run to the end and you might have multiples. Think of Flow Designer almost as a super duper business rule. You've got a trigger. Mm. You've got actions. Hey, that's a start. Only you can take it way, way beyond business rules. Also think of it as a replacement for scheduled jobs. No more scripting. So if you want to go look up those overdue approvals that have been sitting there for a week of no activity and send a nag reminder, that's far <laughs> easier to do in Flow Designer than it is to do in, uh, in, in, a, in a script. Same kind of thing for those knowledge base articles that are coming up for renewal. Hmm. It's like go, go write a flow. Make them small bits of information. And by breaking it down even further into... Uh, thinking about instead of writing a script include that does all this functionality, you can create a spoke or collection of actions that you can reuse. And the person consumes them simply by filling in a couple of fields. You can, if let's say your your approval fails in your change management flow. If, if you were to today say, I'm going to make a new change management process, I'm going to use Flow Designer instead of Workflow. You could re-trigger that approval flow over and over and over. You don't need the rollback. Just keep firing that thing and say, as many times as it takes till we get through this thing, I'm going to keep triggering it. And you might have that same flow run five, six, 20 times. I don't know why it would be rejected 20 times. <laughs> you may have other issues in your organization if that happens. So I said, schedule jobs, business rules, and incoming mail actions. And we have some more cool stuff coming in the future. Again, hate to be a a tease like that, but uh, there is some new ways to trigger your flows that are coming that you're really going to enjoy. But think of them as replacements for those types of mechanics, and you'll be a lot better off and go, oh, now I get it. I can build something, test it, deploy it, and move on without sitting there for three weeks debugging the same workflow. That was the big aha moment in my mind. But like I mentioned before, a lot of what we're doing right now when we talk to customers is, is always nudging them towards you know active development on flow designer at, you know not necessarily encouraging people to hey you have to manually transition all of your work here but anytime you're building something new you know flow designer is a thing we're, we're throwing a lot of our active development at it's all the the new features it's a lot of the the new thinking it's it's where we're kind of moving forward uh so there are like you just alluded to there are a million different ways you can package or customize or format, you know, your flows to, to run in infinitely extensible ways, whether you're building custom actions or, you know, you want to go the subflow route and reference subflows everywhere throughout your flow. You know, the, the opinion of, of our team and of the customers that really enjoy flow designer is that the, the functionality is all there. Uh, sometimes the, the way that you approach the same problems are slightly different to fit within the, the paradigm of the mm -hmm. tool, mm -hmm. but, you know, everyone that we've talked to is able to accomplish everything that they were doing in, in workflow within Flow Designer. Nice. Nice. It, the, I've really, in the last uh, six months or so, really come to appreciate subflows more than I originally mm. did. In fact, I would encourage, if you haven't looked at flows and subflows yet, start writing subflows first because they become your, basically your library of blocks of functionality. Now, those small atomic blocks are going to be your actions. You know, go get some records, go look this up, make this calculation, go update this thing. And then you plug those into a subflow because subflows have inputs and outputs, whereas a flow is triggered by something. And obviously you can access whatever triggered it, 
But having a subflow gave me so much more flexibility because I needed that. I had my first case this last summer of I wrote a subflow and I needed to use that both in a flow because it was doing the same thing over hundreds and hundreds of records mm-hmm. as I needed in a scripted UI, a scripted REST API that did that on one record. Like, oh, well, if I can do this one time, I can do it hundreds of times. And then later I even took it one step further and made a scheduled job. <laughs> I know I could have done this yeah. in flow, but there were reasons I didn't. But the scheduled job also called that same logic. And now I've got this same thing in three pieces and I know exactly how it's going to behave. I can test it in Flow Designer mm-hmm. and check the executions. And it's just a beautiful thing with the Flow API at your disposal to trigger these things because the, the they become plugins. I almost see them, you know, like an, uh, an outlet and a plug and you can stick the <laughs> subflow in there and go, all right, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So I start thinking every time I come to the decision of, oh, I need to make a flow wait, maybe I need to make a subflow. And it, it, yeah. it, it and if you know what, if you have a flow and the only action it is, is to call a subflow, there's nothing wrong with that. Let's ask more about you. What is your favorite feature in Flow Designer? Yeah, this is a good question. And uh, one of the things that I really like about Flow Designer is its modularity, where you really don't have to redefine something every time you want to use it. And the two things that I really like in Flow Designer are how we use our data pills with data flow. Mm-hmm. And what we just mentioned is subflows itself. Uh, so for data pills, I can incredibly easily grab a value from, you know, step number one of my flow and easily repurpose it in step 12 and 15 and, and 18 or even pass it into a subflow and I don't have to continuously, you know, redefine what that that value is. And it really allows for super personalized messaging as well. Uh, so for some examples, uh, for example, I created an automated to-do list for me. Anytime mm-hmm. uh, some record gets created within the ServiceNow system, I want it to, to ping me and say, hey, Brian, you know, this thing needs your approval. It's been created by this person and it's about this project. And I run that all through a loop. So a lot of times I'll just grab a data data pill from, from one spot and add that into my action. So I don't need to continuously go back and you know manually define uh, what types of data values I want to be using. And the other thing that I really like, especially when comparing to other automation platforms is there's a little bit of customer choice in how we access those data values. So we have our, you know, we found through some testing that some customers, they're only drag and drop. They only use that data panel every time they're going to use uh, a data pill. And other customers will only use that, that little pill picker icon where you can choose those data values in line. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think, you know, we've actually done a little bit of research trying to uncover what causes someone to choose you know, pill picker here or data panel there. And mm-hmm. there doesn't appear to be any rhyme or reason. Some people just like one more than the other. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. I have a I have a methodology that I've pretty much stuck to it. I saw it evolve and then I went, okay, why am I doing A versus B? <laughs> so yeah, I had to put some rules around it. I use the data panel if it's top level or maybe one level down. If I can click a triangle and mm. get a value, but if I have to start drilling and scrolling and drilling and scrolling, I'll go to the pill picker because I can type and shorten up that list yep. really fast. Like trigger record, 
employee manager department. Well, in the data panel, that would be click, scroll, 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 click, scroll, scroll, click, scroll, scroll, mm-hmm. scroll, scroll. In, but in the data pill picker, it's click, click, type, M-A-N, click, <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah. using the keyboard is real fast. So if it's if it's three or four levels down, pill picker every time. That's just my preference. Other people may have different yeah. ways to do it. And, you know, it becomes one of those things where if you're ever watching over somebody's shoulder <laughs> and you have a faster way and they're just going slow, it gets oh, like, yeah. mm, go, do, do, why, don't you, why don't you click <laughs> over here? It's a little quicker. <laughs> Well, but, the other thing that we've seen is that some people use the the data panel the first time that they are interacting with some type of data input, like the first time that they yeah. are looking at a record, and they'll just use it to browse the the contents because you know you get all that vertical space. It's a little bit easier just to quickly sure. peruse and see what's available for you. And once they get that understanding, then people will sometimes switch to that that pill picker and you know combine search and typing and scrolling into one fluid motion. I know this is outside your domain, but from a developer experience, it would make sense if we had a data panel on notifications as well. This dollar curly brace thing is getting a little old. (laughs) (laughs) We have the panel on the side that you can, you know, hit the plus and look, there's my data model. I can click things and it will put in the label and the dollar curly brace thing, which is a little overkill for most people, but like, oh, yeah. man, if only we had some, it, it wouldn't take that much to redo the editor and have a data, a same data panel that we have in AT, uh, you know, data pill pickers. Why, where is it? Where is it? <laughs> I want it. So I'll have to give the notification team a, a nudge and see what they're working on. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Speaking of work, what are we working on? All right, I do have to hit the klaxon for this one. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. All right, that's enough. What's on the roadmap (laughs) for Flow Designer, Brian? Well, we have, uh, honestly, we have a ton of cool stuff coming for Flow Designer in Quebec. Um, A lot of what we've been doing in Flow Designer for the past few releases has been establishing a a focus. So non-admins can get into Flow Designer and develop things. Now, I know if you're an admin right now, you're probably sitting back and thinking, oh, no, like if people who aren't admins are going to get in here. They're not going to know what they're doing. They can mess up thing A, thing B, thing C, or data is going to go all over the place. Well, one of the things that we've been really focusing on is creating the ability for our admins to configure safe ways to define who gets access to what. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we introduced our content filtering in Paris. Yep. So admins can say, hey, uh, I want to make sure that Chuck has access to flow A and flow B and actions one, two, and three, but not any subflows. So it's easy to gate from a content perspective. But one of the things that we're introducing in uh, Quebec is extending that to, to features. So I can say, I want to give Chuck access to Flow Designer and he can save and he can test and he can look at flow properties and he can do scripting in line, but I'm not going to give him the ability to activate this this flow or hmm. deactivate it. Sorry, Chuck. <laughs> well, no, that's okay. Uh, I'd, I'd rather that than you turn off testing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it, it's really cool because at a granular level, we are now allowing our admins to define what, what features are available so they can really make it 
um, a safe and secure environment for non-admins to actively contribute and, and build automations for their you know lines of business or for their departments um, and you know potentially make it so admins still have to approve everything or you know you can define it so uh, with content filtering so people on the HR team only have access to the HR actions mm-hmm. and it's it's fully configurable always references uh, a user's role as well so it's uh, should be a, a way to configure access that admins are pretty familiar with the next thing that we are, releasing in Quebec is one of the things that the workflow diehards will be very pleased with, and that is flow variables. So this is the equivalent to Scratchpad in workflow. You can define... You have to throw in the cheering crowd. Uh, So if you're not familiar with workflow Scratchpad, it's basically a way to define an arbitrary variable. So I can make, you know, Brian variable one and say it's a string and throughout the course of a a flow, I can populate it with whatever content I want. Uh, some common use cases we've been seeing for this so far are using it inside a loop to be a counter, so you can end a loop after a particular value. Yeah. Uh, if you're trying to pack together a bunch of content. So, uh, for, for example, if you want to create a digest email and you want it to include the contents of a whole bunch of records, you can create a, a flow variable that collects the contents of, you know, the descriptions of those records, and then you just drop that one flow variable into your uh, send email action. So easy ways to create, modify, reuse data in pretty much any way you want. And then the next one is embedded help. And this is this is an interesting example of seeing how our users were <laughs> using Flow Designer and creating uh, and like a, a feature in direct response to that. So we, we did a bunch of user testing, you know, we're on calls, we're watching um, ServiceNow users inside of Flow Designer. And one thing that stuck out to us is whenever they're using an action, you know, some ServiceNow out of the box action, update a record, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure out how the heck do I use this thing? And in almost all cases, they would have Flow Designer open in one window and they'd have uh, ServiceNow documentation open in the next window. And they'd be going back and forth and trying to figure out, okay, what's the thing that I need? How am I going to use it? I go over to Docs, and I look, and they go back to Flow Designer and try and build something. So we're actually bringing that into Flow Designer now. So for Quebec, for all out-of-the-box ServiceNow actions, uh, we'll have a little question mark in a, in a circle adjacent to the action name once you add it to the canvas. Once you click on that little help icon, a, a panel will pop out on top of the data panel, and you'll have the equivalent of help docs right there that'll explain all the inputs and outputs and what that action actually does. Very nice. Which I, I believe we think it's going to be super cool. Prior to Quebec, we have help, but you, it's when you're about to pick the action, is it not? I mean, you go down to ServiceNow yeah. Core Update Record, and there's a third panel that pulls out on that that's that has the help, and sometimes you got to scroll. That's not when you need the help. <laughs> exactly. And that's the other thing we notice with uh, customers as well. If they wanted more info on the action, they'd you know, either be in documents or they would just go to create another action, yeah. scroll to the same thing that they just selected just so they could view the, the contents of it and then you know, go back to their previous action. Not, not ideal from a, from a UX perspective. No. So we're, we're hoping that embedded help will be, 
will allow for much quicker reference and creation of, of flows. Brian puts on his cape and says, I can help with that. What else? Um, yeah, so we have two more. We have templates and uh, some updates to the action picker. So action picker, you actually just referenced, uh, you know, what happens when you click to add a new action? We get a list of all the stuff that's available to you right now. You know, we might group it by spoke or by service now core, and then you click and you view the details. Well, we're adding a couple new ways to, to view actions, again, based on how we've observed people using Flow Designer. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people will use a small subset of actions that, you know, small subset of all the available actions, and they use that small subset over and over and over again. Uh, so we're introducing two new categories within this action picker, and the first of which is most recent. So this will be you, Chuck, your last 10 most recently used actions. Nice. Um, which is great. Quickly building, quickly referencing. You don't have to scroll through a big list and, yep. you know, Saves a couple clicks here and there, but for complex flows, that adds up. And then for popular actions, these are the actions that people are using across your organization. So if I am new to ServiceNow, I just joined, I could click on popular and uh, I'd be able to see what what other people in, in my org have been using. And that's a good signal for, hey, you know, maybe we just... Uh, added the Microsoft Teams spoke, or we just added Slack, and it's an easy way to show what's available to people. The last one with flow templates, uh, again, extending that theme of making Flow Designer more accessible to low-code users, uh, we are creating pre-built flows that will ultimately prompt the user for a couple of inputs, mm-hmm. and then once they add those inputs, the flows will, for the most part, be ready to go. Uh, we are going to be rolling flow templates out, not in Quebec, but uh, within a store release in January, I believe. And uh, we're, we think people are really going to enjoy the templates as a way to, A, have some inspiration on what they could build, uh, but B, a way to quickly add those flow templates uh, to your organization so you can accomplish common automations very quickly. So we'll be able to add templates of our own as, lo- as well as some that come out of the box, right? Uh, for Quebec, there are only the templates that come out of the box. Okay. And in future releases, we are exploring the ways for customers to create their own templates or share them uh, with people inside and outside their, their organization. I see. I like it. All right. And, and that kind of goes into... App Engine Studio, which we'll talk about on another podcast later. Where where do we come up with these ideas? I mean, are they are they customer driven? Are they are they product driven from the other product departments? Where where does that come from? Yeah, this is a, a question that we get pretty frequently as well, and I'd say there's a pretty good uh, split between where we get ideas from. Uh, first, we get a lot of ideas from our customers, whether it's on uh, calls with partners that are. Know, on, on early access design programs or customers who've submitted ideas, uh, you know, on, on high or even customers who are, are adding questions on the community uh, that get, you know, a lot of, a lot of votes or a lot of different ways to solve for something. Uh, so, so inbound requests and ideas from customers are certainly one way. 
since Flow Designer is a core platform feature and a lot of other business units within ServiceNow use Flow Designer, a lot of times we get requests from other business units that say, hey, can you, uh, we're looking to do thing X with Flow Designer. Can you update it in this, this small little way so we can squeeze a little bit more functionality out of it? Uh, which, you know, is always good because we're dealing with people who are active users of, of the product in that example. And then finally, uh, a lot of times it's extending a feature set or, or getting to parity. You know, for the past few releases, some of the features in, in each release would be geared around uh, getting to parity with workflow in, in, in some capacity, um, in addition to extending a flow designer feature set. So um, I know kind of moving forward, a lot of our features are going to be net new. So things that aren't in workflow to begin with, you know, and creating something totally new and, and feature rich. So we build those in a, a phased approach. That's so yeah, it's like from customers, from business units and, uh, you know, building on from previous versions of the product. And of course, we're probably keeping track of the competition too, because you know, we want to stay one step ahead of them as well in terms of workflow features and whatnot. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd say that is, uh, you know, it's, it's a good way to know if you're generally on the right track, you know, being able to view what your customers are doing is a little bit of a, a lagging indicator of, uh, you know, what, what you're building. Um, yep, yep. but we, we, we certainly view that as a, you know, directionally, like how are we positioning ourselves against our competitors? Are we generally on the right track or are they trying to catch up to us or are we trying to catch up to them? Um, or even, you know, differentiating. So it's certainly something that goes into the evaluation set. So many questions I have for you about the product itself, but I'm going to limit it to just this one. Okay. Why does Flow Designer appear in a new window when you launch it from Studio, but in a new tab when it's launched from the platform UI? You know, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, it's it's not a question that we've been asked before. Uh, and I think it's, it's just an odd implementation quirk. Uh, you know, I think what Team A did it one way and, and Team B did it a different way. But it is something, now that I know about it, uh, I'm, I am going to bring up as a, you know, maybe a small defect or a, Hey, why is it like this? Or maybe even a user preference, teams. you know, ask me yeah. which one, some people are probably religiously tied to one or the other now. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's the church of new tab and the church of new window. <laughs> and then there's those of us that just go, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. As long as you just give me float designer. Yeah. <laughs> And and when it comes up in a new window, make the window big enough. It's always too small. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move on past that. But there are there are so many other questions that I love to ask. Is is there anything else that you would like to add that I may have missed? Well, let's see. We we kind of covered a lot today. Yeah, you know, we did. Covered a lot of uh, workflow and, and the history of that compared to Flow Designer. Some new features, how we get new ideas. Um, I'd say one of our our big initiatives is really making flow designer and our automation tools accessible by low code users. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that is under no circumstances saying that we are not also focusing on, on our pro code, high tech admin users. Uh, we just found that, you know, within our customers organizations, there's a wealth of people that are really, really smart and can think in a technical way about what they want to do with, data and how they want to run automations, 
They just, you know, might not know how to script, but people can build some incredible stuff within macros or crazy formulas within Microsoft Excel. And they're really smart people. Uh, and we want to build tools that are accessible for them. Uh, so a lot of initiatives, whether it is you know, App Engine Studio that you mentioned earlier, or it is improving our UX, or it's even some of the stuff that uh, might be coming in Rome that I can't really give too much insight on right now. <laughs> uh, a, a lot of what we're doing is is really just m- making this powerhouse of an automation tool easy to use for anyone who wants to use it. Well, that takes us to the end. I'm looking at the clock and we have, this one ran long, but I think there was a lot of great information in there. Thank you for joining us today. Before we leave, can you let the listener know how to get in touch with you? Absolutely. Uh, you can reach me by email at brian.bimschlager uh, at servicenow.com. And you can reach me on Twitter at, at bimschlager. You know, for the spelling of Bimschlager, just check the show notes. It's easier than spelling it out. <laughs> I'm glad you, you know that's the first time someone else has referenced the show notes before I did. <laughs> Perfect. You beat me to the punch. And thank you, wonderful listener, for joining us today. Don't forget to check out the other ServiceNow podcasts. You can find them on the community at community.servicenow.com under the resources menu. There's, I think we're up to about 10, 10 different podcasts you can listen to. And again, thank you so much, Brian, for talking to us today about Flow Designer. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Hopefully you learned something new about Flow Designer. Thanks for having me on, Chuck. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.